Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Tuesday, October the 2nd, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, your second daily dose of happy for the day. And uh, I have to say this has been a great day for practicing being a deliberate creator, Wendy. I have had lots of opportunity <laughs> to practice today. I've actually done pretty well. Much of it. I, Actually, one really good thing happened. Um, we have new neighbors upstairs in our apartment uh, that just moved in. <laughs> And while I was working this afternoon at my desk in what would normally be our second bedroom, um, all of a sudden, the people upstairs started playing this rap music with their window open, blaring it out the window. And I'm thinking, oh, no, oh, wow. this is not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what to do about it. I certainly didn't want to complain to them. Like, this, this is like their second day having moved in, you know. So the last <laughs> thing I really wanted to do was to start a fight or anything, right? So, and plus, right. that's not a good uh, vibrational set point anyway to start a fight. So I kind of took a leaf out of your book. I said, you know what? I'm going to leave it up to the universal manager. So I put it off. I said, universe, I need quiet here. I need you to get them to turn that off. And I need you to get them to leave it off. And you know, within 15 minutes, they turned it off. Nice. Yeah. Real nice. So how did, how did you then feel about your ability to delegate something to the universe instead of you having to control it? A little stunned, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like having an employee and you're shocked when they actually do their job? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Not quite, but yeah, kind of in that same ballpark. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay, universal manager, I'll keep you on the payroll for a little while <laughs> yeah, longer. Right. You're doing pretty good. So far, your performance evaluation is looking really It's positive. looking much better, yes, absolutely. They, they, the universal manager definitely made brownie points today. <laughs> well, and I'm really impressed that you were patient enough to allow time for the universal manager to be able to orchestrate the quieting of the music. Yeah, all 15 minutes I allowed. And you know what the, the most amazing part was? When okay. the music went quiet, I didn't notice it first. Interesting. And then all of a sudden I realized it was quiet. I said, whoa, what happened? <laughs> well, you know, that has a unique connotation because... Here's the thought that popped into my head. I don't know this definitively, but it's just a thought that as you ask the universal manager to quiet the music before it actually quieted physically, I wonder if your mind started to tune it out. Oh, I know I did. And that was more deliberate than anything else because I know okay. I needed to focus on what I was doing. So I was just doing my best to tune out whatever was there. And next thing I knew, it wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. So you really had kind of a temporary a quieting before the actual quieting took place. Absolutely, yeah. It was a quieting. Cool. It was a quiet before the quiet, as opposed to a quiet before the storm. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. That's a, that was a great process. It was or a great exercise to take you through today. It was a good little test to do, and it paid off handsomely. And I'm I'm very pleased by it. And well, it also kind of ties in to what uh, we're going to talk about today because okay. um, I've been paying more attention lately based on a recommendation Patty Framo made to me recently to the processes that are listed in the back of the book, Ask and It Is Given by Jerry Nestor Hicks. And mm -hmm. that book, I, first of all, I discovered something while I was messing around with, with what's in the back of that book. Did you ever notice that there are 22 emotional set points in the emotional guidance scale and 22 processes in the book? I hadn't made that connection. That that one really kind of surprised me. I, I don't know why 22, but I just thought I'd mentioned, like, well, 22s seem to be wild. <laughs> huh. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure what that was That's about, but it's interesting, you know? Um, yeah, so tell, tell me what you learned about the, the process. Well, you know, I, I dug into them because I, I knew in the past I'd kind of put off digging into them. And, in fact, as I'm thinking about that, I'm saying to myself, I'm going to put off digging into them for a moment now because I'm trying to do something new here on the podcast. I'm trying to announce very early on that we're looking for people to be subscribers and to help uh, promote the podcast to see what happens if the numbers uh, change any. Because we are getting a lot of uh, activity, a lot of people helping to promote the podcast. I just want to see what happens when we start announcing it at the beginning. So okay. if you're not yet a subscriber, please become a subscriber. It's really easy to do. The instructions, if you need them, are on the homepage at LOHA.net. If you already uh, have a, a smartphone with podcast software 
installed, you probably already know how to subscribe. So just, you know, take the moment and click the subscribe button. And for those of you who are already subscribers, please help us continue to promote the podcast. It is paying off handsomely. We are getting more and more people getting their daily dose of happy, which is what the main purpose of the campaign is to, to basically spread the, the news about this podcast to as many people as possible. Um, Wendy, so far in the last three months since we started, when we started, we were averaging something like 80, 90, sometimes 100 uh, listeners per episode over the course of a month. Now we're averaging 210 and growing. Whoa. So, yeah, so it's really paying off. It's really, the, the campaign is working very effectively. And I'm just trying to see, can we even accelerate it faster by putting the announcements at the beginning of the podcast rather than at the end? But, uh, thank you to everybody who is putting out messages because it is making a big difference. And please keep doing it. Just, you know, put out anything, social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, whatever you use, just put out a little message that you're listening to LOAToday.net and the universe takes care of the rest of it. That's the great thing about the universal manager. Yeah, that's very true. So getting back to the processes, um, I had previously, of course, like most people who have read the book, I had you know flipped through them, maybe even tried a couple of them. But I had to actually turn them into a regular part of my daily routine, primarily because, as you know, they have that emotional guidance scale. And you're supposed to look at the emotional guidance scale and see where you are on the scale and then use the process or processes that match where you are on the scale. The problem is when you have that in a book format, you're basically having to flip through every one to see, well, let's see, does this one apply? Does this one apply? Does this one apply? And I kind of cut down on my interest in doing it each time because every time that I, I was on a new point on the, on the scale, I had to keep flipping through 22 processes. Okay, does this one apply? Does this one apply? And it got kind of annoying after a while. So I made a cheat sheet for myself. I basically took all the information down about which processes apply to which emotional set points and turned them into like a little, almost like a table, so that for um, people who are at the first point, the joy-happiness point on, at the very top of the scale, um, the processes that would apply would be processes one, two, three, four, and five, for instance. And so if you're at number two, then here are the processes that apply. If you're at number three, here are the processes that that apply. And that's proving to be really helpful. Like this morning, I kind of woke up feeling kind of like in an overwhelmed mode, understandably, because of all the craziness going on here with the business. And so I said, okay, starting with overwhelmed, what's good? And I looked at my chart. It's like, oh, well, it's six and seven. And and I knew exactly which ones they were. I flipped to them. Oh, yeah, that does apply. Let's give it a shot. All of a sudden, a hard process. So for anyone who doesn't know what the emotional guidance system is... Yes, we should probably explain that, shouldn't we? It's a scale that Abraham has uh, outlined. They said it's not perfect, but it just gives you some basic concepts where you're at a higher vibration um, when you're in joy, appreciation, and love. And that's like number one. That's at the top of the scale. And all the way at the bottom, which is number 22... um, is like despair, depression, right? Um, fear. Where you just you fear. It's like where you just feel so disconnected from pure positive energy. You're om- not not that you have to be suicidal, but I promise you, those that are suicidal are in this 22 range. Right. And right. then of course there's variations um, throughout the entire chart. So just to kind of give you an idea, naming a few, starting at um, like the bottom where there's despair um, to move up the scale. Actually, what feels a little bit better than despair is revenge. And what feels better than revenge is anger. And what feels better than anger is frustration. Um, And then disappointment and contentment um, until you get to hope, or actually until you get to boredom, and then hope, and then positivity and optimism until you get all the way up to love and appreciation. So that's just kind of a a basic concept of what Walt is talking about when he's saying this is the emotional guidance system. And so these processes that Abraham has at the back of the book, Ask and It's Given, is different ways that you can get yourself out of feeling whatever negative emotion you're feeling at the time so that you can start to feel better. And the way they've outlined it in the book is that different processes are most helpful when your starting point is at a particular emotional range. And so that's what Walt has done is he's created a cheat sheet chart 
so that he can feel, okay, what am I feeling right now? I'm feeling overwhelmed. Well, is that anywhere on this scale that I can find? Yes. And so which processes then actually correlate with that that will help me get out of feeling this way? Exactly. Exactly right. And in fact, um, for people who want to have the uh, cheat sheet for themselves, I actually publish it on the website. So you can find oh, it nice. by visiting the website and just, just plug in the URL, LOAToday.net forward slash category forward slash, I'm sorry, no, take, <laughs> strike that, LOAToday.net forward slash cheat sheet for the emotional guidance scale with dashes in there. So cheat dash sheet dash forward dash the dash emotional dash guidance dash scale. Or you could just go to this morning's podcast and click, click the link in there, which is a lot easier to do. <laughs> because so I also is it connected it. to the link for today's show? It, it, I'll also add it to today's show as well, yes. So it, it's both today's nice. show and the one that uh, I did this morning with uh, Cindy Chavez. Both of those have a link to it. So that's probably the easiest way cool. out there. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so then, sorry, I that was just my interjection. Now jump back to you woke up feeling overwhelmed, and then what? Well, overwhelmed is, is number 11 on the scale, so it's like somewhere in the middle of the scale. And okay. I, I went to my little cheat sheet and read which of the processes, the 22 processes in the book, apply if you are at number 11, at, at the overwhelmment stage. And sure enough, I was my my little cheat sheet showed me immediately that it was processes six, seven, ten, and then all the ones through, from twelve through twenty-one. So I could use any of those processes to most effectively address the fact that I was feeling overwhelmed and try to move myself up the scale. And so I did. Okay. I, I went to look at those processes, and I went to look at process six. Now process six is the process of meditation. I said, well, that's a good idea. Let's do a little meditating. So I meditated for a bit, felt a little bit better, went to process seven, and that one was evaluating dreams. Well, I don't remember what my dreams were last night, so I skipped that one. I said, well, that's not going to help me a whole lot. Good <laughs> so, point. So I went to that, went past that one, went to number 10. I figured I wasn't going to just stop with one. I was going to do a few of them. And number 10 is the placemat process, which quite honestly I'd forgotten about. Do you remember that I one? I love that one. Do you love I that love one? That one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. where I learned about the universal manager. Oh, okay. All right. Well, the place, do you want to dry, describe it in a, in a nutshell, the placemat place process? So, how do you use that? The, first of all, the reason it's called that is because Jerry and Esther were in a restaurant waiting for their food to be delivered when Esther was talking with Jerry about how she just felt really overwhelmed. (laughs) Ha ha, isn't that ironic? Mm -hmm. Where she felt really overwhelmed with all the things she had to get done in a short period of time. And so they decided to communicate with Abraham to kind of get some insight on this. And Abraham's suggestion was to turn her paper placemat that was on the table upside down. So she just basically had a big piece of white paper and said, put a line down the middle and on the left side, you know, basically say things that I'm going to do. And on the right side, things that I'm going to delegate to the universal manager. And then she took her whole list of all the different to-dos that were necessary to be done. And she just, she divided them up based on, okay, is it something I absolutely have to do? And if not, such as I need to get in touch with, um, my air conditioning repairman, or I need to talk to my publisher. Those kinds of things she put on the universal manager side. And not just phone calls on that side, but anything that she didn't uh, feel like she absolutely wanted to do, she put on the universal manager side of the placemat. And within a day or so, she recognized that Everything that was on the universal manager side of the placemat got handled with such beautiful synchronicity and timing where like she might get a nudge, you know, call so-and-so right now. And somebody who's normally so busy that they never answer their phone was there. The moment she called, it took three minutes in conversation and boom, that was checked off the list. Um, in other cases, people that w- needed to contact that she needed to contact actually contacted her like proactively. And so everything that was on the manager side of the placemat got handled in a way that she could not have orchestrated with as much flow and ease 
as how it actually turned out. Mm-hmm. So that's what the placemat process was about. Exactly. Now, I have to say, I when I saw it, I said, oh, I haven't looked at this one for a while, so I'm not going to do it. I know it's a good one, but just not going to do it right now. And before I even looked at my list again, I noticed that the next one was process 11, which is segment intending. So I said, oh, is that on the list? And no, it wasn't. It was, that was really interesting to me. So I looked at segment intending, and segment intending is... Well, no, I'm sorry. It was on the list. I apologize. It is on the list. Segment intending is on the list, but it's on a it's on a narrower list than I thought it was going to be. That's my point. When when I looked at the um, the different set points on the scale that segment intending applies to, it only applies to being overwhelmed or better. If you feel anything more, you know, fearful or angry or discouraged or frustrated than that. The segment intending isn't going to help you, according to what they're suggesting here. And I hadn't Me- heard that one meaning, before. Meaning if you're feeling any negativity that feels more uncomfortable. Than overwhelmed. Uh, than overwhelmed, you're right. saying that segment intending would not be appropriate. That's exactly what they were saying and, and what their recommendation was. And, and that kind of surprised me because they really pushed segment intending in a couple of the books and workshops and so forth. But now in this particular book, they're clarifying, well, only do it if you're at least feeling no worse than overwhelmed. <laughs> so, you know, and that kind of makes sense to me because, um, you know, I'm a huge proponent of segment intending. Mm-hmm. I, know, I didn't call it that, but I, I used to call it intention. Mm-hmm. I would set my intention. But really, it was the same exercise where you look at I'm about to do X, Y, Z, and you purposely think about how you want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, such as if you're going to go into a business meeting, you know, um, I want to walk in, I want to feel that I'm confident in my presence. I want to be, I want to feel, um, a natural smile coming out of me. Um, I, I want to experience where I connect with people and have real natural rapport. And then when it's my turn to give my piece of the presentation, that I speak with clarity and um, I have good articulation and that I'm connecting with people as I speak and people are looking like they're, you know, actually engaged with me. And when it's all said and done, I would like, you know, to get some kind of accolades that people, you know, really liked what I said and it made a difference. Right. So that could be, that. that's the kind of segment intending I've done. Mm-hmm. And I usually do that, you know, could be an hour in advance. It could be 15 minutes in advance. Um, I will tell you almost every time I've done it, I've experienced everything that I was desiring, mm-hmm. but to the point of um, needing to be at an emotional level of overwhelm or above, I understand that because if I was in a place of deep frustration or I'm really pissed off at somebody who's in that room and it's going to be a real struggle to have to even be in the room with somebody. I'm not going to be in a place that I want to think of these happy, joyful, positive <laughs> outcomes. Very it's, true. It's much harder. <laughs> yeah, it is. No doubt about it. Yeah. So, so it makes so then sense. Really, you need to, you need to do another process to get out of that kind of yeah. <laughs> frustration and, and and anger to bring yourself to a point of feeling a little more solid and centered. And then you can do the segment intending. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things that since I don't use the book hardly, why well, I haven't been using it at all and hadn't really thought about it in quite some time. I'd forgotten that they, you know, they emphasize do process X only if your set point is between this range and that's it. Mm-hmm. Don't try it outside mm-hmm. that range. Because well, I think- you know, and one of the, one of the things I know they talk about in the book is if you start to do a process and it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere for you or you feel like you're struggling through it, don't worry about it. Let go of it. Pick a different process. Yes. And that's what and I was I doing. Think, that's exactly what I was yeah, doing. Yeah, and I think and I think sometimes if you're working a process and it's just not feeling good, I mean it's not always, but sometimes it's because maybe you've misidentified the emotion that you really were starting from. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because, I mean, very often these these emotional set points are very subjective. So, you know, you, you might, heck, half the time I'm not even sure where I am. Oh, I'm kind of here. 
you know, I'm kind of at that level. But I, any of those on either side, like two or three on either side, would probably apply. That that's the way it mm-hmm. often is for me. So I could easily mm-hmm. misidentify it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, what what other processes did you work on? Um, well, actually, I skipped through a few. Um, for instance, okay. after a segment, I, I decided to put segment intending aside, um, partly because I just wasn't wasn't feeling like doing it, and partly because overwhelm was at the very bottom of the list of recommended uh, uh, set points, and I was that put me right at the bottom of that list. I figured that that's a little bit more than I want to try to do right now. So the next one was, wouldn't it be nice if, which I like, I like that process a lot. In fact, Tom and I did a whole show of wouldn't it be nice if, which was really fun. <laughs> By the time we were done with that show, both of us were like high as a kite on number one. I mean, we were just in great, great shape. <laughs> so tell tell us a little bit more about what that exercise is. Basically, you're just trying to come up with all of the different things or ideas or events or activities or or emotionally driven stuff that would make you feel better that you can phrase as, well, wouldn't it be nice if blank? So for instance, wouldn't it be nice Mm -hmm. if the traffic is light and we have a wonderful trip? Or wouldn't it be nice if I had a really productive day today? Or, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I find a spectacular partner, somebody who's fabulous for me? Or wouldn't it be nice if my health improved? Or wouldn't it be nice if I was making more money? Or wouldn't it be, and you just keep going through them, you know? (laughs) Here's a fun one. Wouldn't it be nice if this exercise gets me to feeling good? Yeah, right. That would be really nice. After all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's right within the rules. That's perfectly legitimate. Nothing wrong with that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. And that one actually covers so, a wide range of points on the on the scale too. I mean, it only eliminates like the bottom six, bottom five, and the top three. So most of the time, that one's going to be an appropriate one to do. Now, I know what I'm going to say will not surprise you. Um, I, when I'm in a place that I need to shift my point of attraction, I, I want to get out of feeling not comfortable or not good at the time. I usually ask my inner being, you know, what's the best thing for me to do right now to shift feeling this way? Now that's the best cheat sheet in the world right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I have to tell you, the one that comes to mind the most often is to just feel into and remember everything always works out for me. Everything always works out for me. Interesting you should say that because process number 13 is which thought feels better. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And you know, one that I've um, actually, when I was sitting and having lunch today, um, I'm doing some new things with food. And so I, you know, I was halfway through my entree and it was time for me to stop and just check in with my body, like, am I still enjoying my food? Um, where I am I in terms of hunger? You know, am I full yet? Am I satisfied? Am I still a little bit hungry? And so this was just how I, th- this is one of the new things that I'm doing to build a new relationship with me and food. But what was interesting is before I started asking the question, I want to say the natural thing, but I don't know that it was natural, except that I'm starting to do this in other areas of my life. I took three really deep breaths from my diaphragm and blew out through my mouth and closed my eyes and purposefully uh, felt into the sensation of relaxation. And then I asked those questions. And after I did that, I went, wow. What's this meet with me in the breathing thing? Because mm. I've noticed I'm doing that more often. And I'm noticing that that is how I get centered and calm and get myself connected to be able to receive appropriate responses from my inner being. Well, I'll tell you what, because you recommended that to me about a week ago, maybe 10 days ago. Mm-hmm. And I've been mm-hmm. using it since then with success, particularly in Good. terms of getting commentary from my inner being and actually hearing the comment. (laughs) Well, and so, you know, as, as I'm sharing that, because I'm having great success with it, you're saying you're having great success with it. Well, no, I can't, Um, I can't say I'm having great. I've had some success, which is amazing for me. I mean, because in the past I was having no success. So it's a major improvement, but I'm not saying it's working for me every time. I'm just not there yet. Well, I read an article today by, a, a lady named Dr. Shannon, no, Shanna Compton. Mm-hmm. And I met her on LinkedIn. Actually, we had a, our first conversation today. She was totally delightful. Oh, nice. 
Um, but I, in preparation for talking to her, I wanted to re- reconnect with what is it that she says about herself on her profile. And so she had a couple articles, and one of the articles had to do with, um, it started out with, like, why do singers close their eyes when they sing? And we've all all seen singers where, you know, their eyes are open, then all of a sudden they get to a certain point in the song and they close their eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I found was fascinating in her article was she said that when we close our eyes, because we take in the world, for those of us who can see, meaning those who are not blind, mm-hmm. take in the world, 90% of what how we interpret the world is through our visual. Mm-hmm. But in the moment you close your eyes, you remove that 90% visual, and now you connect to your feelings. Oh, yeah. And so if you want to have a more heightened experience, closing your eyes will help that happen. Well, I used to do and that so, when, I, when I played in bands when I was a kid because I, I, I played in bands up until like my late 20s. And I would often close my eyes when playing. I was a guitarist. And I would close my eyes specifically so that I would not allow anything to distract me from focusing on the music. Because music is auditory, and like you say, you don't want to have, you don't want to be looking at the audience or what's going on in the, in the venue you're in or, or anything like that if you're trying to truly perform the music. So that's why I used to close my eyes because it was easier to focus. Well, apparently there's science behind that, which apparently. I would love it when that happens. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about this in conjunction with the breathing. Because I notice if I take three deep breaths and let it out through my mouth with my eyes open, and then at the end, just kind of sense, okay, do I feel more relaxed? Versus if I do the same thing, but my eyes are closed the whole time I'm doing the breathing, I will find that I will have actually created a deeper level of relaxation when my when I do that breathing with my eyes closed. Interesting. I can't remember if I've been closing my eyes when I've been trying it or not, but I'm going to make sure that's a deliberate part of it from now on. Yeah, and after reading this article today, I went, oh, that is making so much sense. Yeah, right. Because I noticed sometimes when I breathe, I'm like, yeah, I feel sort of relaxed. And other times it's like, whoa, deep relaxation. Well, I love the way you explained it to me the first time. Because the way you explain it the first time was you take three deep breaths and you don't just take three deep breaths. With every breath, you make sure that you're focusing on relaxing with that breath. And so that's exactly the way I've been doing it. I've been saying, and I caught myself a couple times, you know, breathing deeply like, oh, no, no, I forgot to think about relaxation. And so I would think relax as I was doing it. And I actually felt myself relax. So, I mean, I loved that piece of advice you gave me. Well, I forgot I told you that, but that's quite brilliant. If <laughs> I, if I, I heard some, so. <laughs> someone tell me that, I go, well, I'm going to adopt that You're idea. Right. I'm going to focus on relaxing. Well, but it was your idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when my ideas come back to Absolutely, me. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess what I'm wanting to add or insert here is the breathing piece before you do anything is really good at like, you know, because you're looking for, well, what will help me feel better than where I am right now? If you start with the breathing technique first and then ask the question, what's going to help me to feel better? You know what? Just the breathing might have already begun to move the process along. It does. I, I know. And in fact, I've also used it in another way. Um, there have been a couple times the last few uh, weeks, a couple weeks, where I was having trouble getting back to sleep in the middle of the night. You know, I'd get up and go go to the bathroom or something and all of a sudden i was awake and like oh no no i need to get more some, some more sleep here and so i would use your method of breathing with deliberate relaxation and i would even start to ask myself you know make some request or you know here's what i'm trying to accomplish i'd get halfway through it and i'd be asleep <laughs> <laughs> well then it worked it worked really well <laughs> So it actually goes that way, too. It works great for helping if you're having trouble getting to sleep. Cool. But anyway, getting back to my story about yeah. what I was doing this morning and feeling overwhelmed and so forth, um, I ended up flipping through a number of them. I, I tried, uh, you know, doing a couple of them a little bit, and, uh, you know, some of them felt better than others. And then I got to number 20, and number 20 was turning it over to the universal manager. I said, okay, well, let's try that one. And so I tried that this morning, and that was also what I did just before I did 
the morning podcast with Cindy Chavez and then add this, the podcast because I always love doing podcasts. It always feels good to do that. So that combination of this one and a little bit of the Wouldn't It Be Nice If and uh, the, the earlier ones that, that I talked about that I did, that combination really helped me get into a good frame of mind. It also reminded me that when I had that experience just a little while ago with the neighbors upstairs playing the music loudly, I said, well, I'll try the turning it over to the manager one. That's where it came from. That's why I thought of it, because I had just been reading about it in the book and trying it in the morning. And that's So what- can you explain a little bit more in detail what that means to turn something over to the universal manager? Uh, it, the way that I do it, I guess, is I don't know if there's anything more to it than, than what I did. It's a fairly short chapter anyway. But all I did was just say, okay, universal manager, I don't know what to do about this. I need the music off, and I need it off now, and I need it to be left off. So it's in your your boat. Take care of it. And that's all I did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so, if you know, I had never heard of a universal manager until I heard um, Abraham talking about Esther's placemat um, exercise. Um, But I love the idea of turning something over to the universe, but by calling it universal manager, it somehow um, clicked on a deeper level for me because I know what a manager is. Mm -hmm. That's someone who takes care of certain kinds of things. They manage things. Yeah. I'm like, huh, I have my own personal universal manager. Of course we all do, but I think few of us actually recognize it and take advantage of it. Now I do um, I do like the way they wrote it up here because they they tie directly into this idea of a manager because they say mm-hmm. oh, you do have a manager um, who well I should go back uh, one paragraph you may be saying to yourself right now I'd love to have a manager someone I can count on someone who would work on my behalf and we say to you you do have a manager who is that and much more you have a manager who works continually on your behalf called the law of attraction and you have only to ask in order for this universal manager to jump to your request but. Most of you do not see this manager in this way. You have this manager, but you continue to hold the responsibility in your own heart. In other words, you say, oh, yeah, the the law of attraction is out there, but I've got to do all the work. And we say, well, then what good is the law of attraction? (laughs) That would be like having a manager that you pay $500,000 a year to who – Let's say that again. That would be like having a manager that you pay $500,000 a year to whom you just – who, to, to who just asked you, is this there any, is there anything you want from me? And you reply, no, 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 I'm happy just to pay you to have that title. <laughs> no, I'll pay you half a million a year and, you know, you don't have to do anything unless I specifically tell you. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, you are out there scrambling around doing all the computer stuff and all the building stuff and you work yourself into oblivion and are exhausted all the time while your manager is basking on the beach somewhere. <laughs> funny. So, well, you, know, you, you know, you read that, you say, well, yeah, why am I not delegating this stuff more often? <laughs> wow. Well, you know, that reminds me of um, Saturday. I was out running an errand, and I left where I was at 2 o'clock, and I needed to be home by 3 because I had a client call. And normally it's only a 30-minute drive, so I really wasn't worried about it. And it's Saturday. There's not much traffic on Saturday in this particular area. Well, it was raining on and off most of the day. And the moment I turned right to get onto the ramp of the highway, I saw five lanes of highway with red traffic, with uh, taillights, and nobody was moving. But I had already made the turn, and there was no way to unturn. And I went, oh, no. (laughs) So... My first thought was, oh, no, and my second thought was, wait, everything always works out for me. (laughs) Oh, good. Really good. And so I said, okay, you know, and I kind of chatted with my inner being, what's my next recourse? Is there something for me to do? And I got the nudge, you know, put turn on my uh, navigator and see what the navigator says. And it said 18-minute delay. And I thought, well, okay, the normal 30 minutes plus 18 and it even said, you will reach your destination by 249. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, they're still saying I'll make it home in, or 259. Or, no, 249. So I'd get home with 11 minutes to spare. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, it's good. Well, I won't give you this very long story, but, I mean, there was a new something going on for me every minute in the next hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I was doubting the navigator 
And I was think I was mentally picturing, I know a back road. If I could just get to this first exit, I can get there. And so I was doing that. And this is what's so hysterical. So I get off at the next exit. I mean, finally, traffic is inching along. I get off. And I'm now heading toward what I consider the back way. And my navigator is saying, in 600 feet, you turn. Well, I'm like, no, because that'll take me back to the highway where I don't want to be. So I keep going. At the next street, make a U-turn. I'm like, oh, this is driving me crazy. <laughs> At the next street, make a U-turn. For the next three miles <laughs> while I headed toward my back road, it kept saying, At the next street, make a U-turn. And I went, what on earth? Well, here's what happened. I get to the street that I wanted to be on. And guess what? Everybody else was using that as an alternative route. Ah. And I was now inching along where I thought I was so clever of getting off and finding this back road because I know that, you know, it'll get me where I want to go. But this isn't a highway. This is one lane going each direction, and we're inching along at three miles an hour. And so I was kind of giggling, and boy, I was reciting, everything always works out for me, everything always works out for me. <laughs> and I wasn't reciting it from frustration, but I was really just reminding myself, I'm like, somehow, somehow, this is all going to work out. Don't know how, but the universe has this taken care of for me. And this is my concept of the universal manager has my back. And so, bottom line, my client is not in this country. And so I don't have a long distance plan to call this other country, right. um, nor do I even have the person's phone number because we were going to um, connect on the Zoom platform, which wow. is a conference calling wow. platform. Right. And so, and I know that this person doesn't re um, check their email very often. So I felt cut off communication wise. I can't text because I don't know the number, can't call because I don't have, a, I don't know the number. I don't know if she'll even see my email. And I was like, yo, you know, either being what's up. <laughs> and I kept, I just kept being, it's like I was saying everything's going to work out for me. But my inner being was reaffirming me like, it really is okay, Wendy. Like I knew I was kind of blowing this out of proportion. Even though I knew it was going to be okay, I kept feeling the need to do something. And I think it was because I couldn't do anything with traffic. My gas pedal was not going down. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't able to make traction on the road. So right. the need to do something was very present for me. So anyway, um, I guess I had gotten to, I was, you know, standing still on the road. And so I felt comfortable looking at my, my cell phone and I checked my emails and my client said, I'm so sorry, Wendy, but blah, 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 blah happened. Bottom line, can we reschedule for tomorrow? <laughs> okay. And I'm like, okie dokie. Well, obviously, my inner being already knew mm -hmm. that the client was going to need to reschedule. So now I don't have the time urgency to get home by 3 o'clock. But do you know what? I got home by 3 o'clock. That's pretty wild. And it was so funny. And I kept going, what? There was something in this experience that I know is a message for me. And what is that message? So I sat with it for a few moments and then it just became glaringly obvious, which is I kept being reminded of how my navigation system kept saying at the next street, you know, make a U-turn at the next street, make a U-turn. <laughs> and I thought what, and I asked myself the question, what is it that my navigation system knew that I did not? Well, you found that one out. Well, and the answer was this. The navigation system works from a satellite. Mm -hmm. Just like my inner being and the universe. They see my life from a very different perspective. I'm using my eyes and only see what's in front of me. They have a bird's eye view. So my navigation system on my phone was probably going to route me in a way that it knew that there was lesser traffic and it was going to be able to maneuver me. But because I wasn't familiar with that other alternative route that the navigation system wanted to take me, mm -hmm. I wanted to trust more in what I knew. Right. Yeah. Which was my alternative back road. But even as I'm heading towards it, my navigation system knew that was not going to be any good for me. It's but crazy. 
Because navigation systems don't speak in complete sentences or complete thoughts like at the next street, make a U-turn because where you're headed is going to put you in just as much traffic jam as what you just exited. It didn't say any of that. <laughs> this is true. And so, therefore, I was going on Wendy Wisdom, which, by the way, is limited mm -hmm. in comparison to Universal Wisdom. It is. And I just, I mean, this was a huge, huge new awareness. Well, not new, reminder of awareness that the universal manager, the universe, my inner being, has a bird's eye view. They have the big picture and can reroute me whether I'm on the road or whether I'm at home, you know, just going about life. I can be rerouted with the guidance that comes from my inner being. And it will be more exact than if I'm just using my natural senses because I'm limited to what I can see. But my inner being, not limited at all. I've I got two more stories to uh, reinforce what you're saying and also to bring in another point as well. The first story ties back to the story I just told about how we have the neighbor upstairs, right? And the neighbor all of a sudden started playing this really loud music. And I'm thinking, I can't work for this. <laughs> well, like I said before, I, I decided to turn over to the universal manager. And that was uh, about, oh, an hour before the podcast and music turned off. Well, we come out of the podcast and I start telling you the story. And, you know, 15 minutes after I told you the story about how frustrated I was that the music was on, you know what happened? The music came back on. <laughs> Oh, now, during the podcast? During the podcast. Now, it came on not loud enough. I can tell. It's not as loud as it was before, so you it's not loud enough that you can hear it over the microphone. And I can see on my levels it's not getting through to you. But I'm thinking, okay. you know, how fair is the law of attraction? Here I am. I managed to get the thing to go away, and now I'm talking about it again, and it came back. How fair is that? <laughs> I mean, it's exactly, exactly. what I was doing. It's, it's totally fair. It's totally fair. <laughs> because you talked about it, and the law of attraction received your broadcast, this annoying music was really loud. Oh, okay, give give Walt some annoying loud music. <laughs> so, so now I tell you the story, right, about how annoying the loud music was, and I'm laughing about it, and I just put out while you were telling your story, you know, okay, please, Universal Manager, I didn't really mean to focus on it, just take the music away. And it just got quiet upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is oh, freaky I stuff. This I is love really, how really responsive stuff. the law of attraction is to us. <laughs> so that's the first one. The second story is, as uh, many of our listeners know, Louise and I went down to North Carolina over the weekend because our niece, Michaela, got married, um, which is it's really kind of appropriate, too, because this was uh, a 20-year-old, 21-year-old young woman who uh, found the love of her life and got married and wants to have a family. 19 years ago, at the age of two, she was our flower girl. So we got to have Aww. kind of like a complete circle going on there, which is really kind of fun. Um, that's not the story I wanted to tell, though. The story I wanted to tell is that on our way back, um, we were talking about, uh, the, the, well, the trip down had been kind of rough. The, the traffic had been really brutal, particularly in the D.C. area. And so I was thinking, well, you know, what, what can we do about that? Well, Louise, first of all, was all for breaking it up into a two-day trip instead of trying to do it, do it all in one day. So we did decide to do that. But I also didn't want to have to deal with that D.C. traffic if I could avoid it. And as it turns out, there is a route you can take because we're, we were in the Virginia Beach area. And there, there's a route you can take over what they call the Chesapeake, Chesapeake Bay Bridge that bypasses all that and goes directly up to Delaware through Maryland. And... It, it, it's a toll road, but, you know, nevertheless, it's a good way to go. Well, the only problem with that route is that Louise is afraid of heights. And it isn't really high above the water, but it's up like, you know, 20 feet or something like that. And that's high enough for her. So she's a little bit nervous about it. But my sister says, oh, it's a great route. You'll cut off so much time and so forth. And I was really excited about it. So Louise kind of bit her, her lip a little bit. She says, okay, okay. You know, and as it turned out, it wasn't so bad. We got through, uh, got past the bridge. It's actually a, a bridge, tunnel, bridge, tunnel, bridge situation. So you're, you're going above water, below water, and, and over and over and over again until you finally finish that section, and then you're riding on land all the rest of the way. Well, we got past all the bridges and tunnels, and we're driving on the, the main uh, drive there going up in toward uh, Maryland, and it was a really nice drive. It's very straight. Um, it's kind of, it's very much of a back road kind of a thing. It's not like a super highway. So it was a very pleasant drive and Louise was enjoying it so much. 
Well, interestingly enough, my sister sends me a text message during the podcast today in which she tells me that it's a good thing that we left when we did because the very next day, and I'm thinking about how Louise was putting up a little resistance but not quite so much, the very next day, and I'm going to quote from the text message, there was a bad accident on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Cars got trapped out there for over 12 hours. It was unprecedented. <gasps> we almost never hear of accidents on the Bay Bridge, and the accident involved a semi. So the universal manager really looked out for us, <laughs> got us through all that before anything would happen, and got us home. It was great. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And you're, t- you're talking about a tunnel that you said goes above the water and below the water. Right. And can you imagine just being stuck? Ugh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, my well, gosh. Well, I can even add to the story because on the bridge ports, parts, there are these little sections every, oh, geez, every couple miles or so that are about, I don't know, 30 feet long it, where it gives you like a, a little ledge you can drive off the road if you have an emergency. And Louise and I were making the joke to each other, you know, well, that's great as long as you have an emergency when you're at the emergency cutout. If you're not at the emergency <laughs> cutout, you're screwed. <laughs> Can you plan when you have the emergency that's appropriately right. is the question. Exactly. That's it. So we, we oh, were putting out plenty of stuff, but we did it with enough humor and enough joy that it didn't affect us. And unfortunately, other people were affected. But uh, it makes me wonder a couple of things. First of all, what did they attract or how did they attract it? What were they focusing on? And second of all, look how well the universal manager looked out for us. That's right. Wow. That's a great story. <laughs> this stuff is freaky, wow. Wendy. I mean, no matter how I slice this, this stuff is darn freaky. It really is. But you know, but you know what, Walt? Everything's always working out for me. Everything's you. always working out for me. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, every person I know that has adopted the everything's always working out for me mantra in a way that – they're not just using it as words or an affirmation, but they've really come to believe it. And the more they came to believe it, the more life experience, because law of attraction kept responding to it, kept bringing them more evidence of it. Every person I know that like really lives that, lives that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they focus on it and they live the experience of how everything always works out for them. I think you know? it's one of those experiences that you kind of learn to live, too. I don't think it happens instantly because I'm finding that I'm in that process of learning it and, and learning to trust it, learning to believe that it's going to everything is really going to work out for me. It's going to work out for me in a very reasonable course of time that actually feels comfortable to me. But it takes time. Well, anything can happen instantaneously if somehow, some way you can believe instantaneously. It's just that most of us can't. True. And we need to kind of take some time and work ourselves into beliefs such as that. But it's also just a question of, well, am I willing to believe it at all? You know, can I really trust that universal manager? And, and when we're first exposed to that, that can be a little bit daunting. It can be a little bit scary. Like, oh, geez, I don't know. I'm the one who's always had to get this stuff done. And then you hear the, the teachings of Abraham. You say, oh, oh, yeah, law of attraction. Right. Forgot that. Sorry. Yes. But that doesn't mean that the, the doubt isn't there. The, the concern isn't there. It is, and it takes a little while sometimes to let go of that. That's what I found anyway. Well, and you know, this has nothing to do with how old we are chronologically. It has to do with experience. When we've had more experience to the contrary of a belief such as everything's always working out for me, um, everything in our brain has been wired to say, you know, don't trust that. Right. Don't trust that concept. Um, But young people who haven't had as much negative life experience um, can adopt and adapt to that concept very easily. Very true. Oh, yes. They don't. It's like they don't have anything to overcome. They yeah. can hear it and go, oh, okay, cool. Everything always happens, works out for me. All righty. Interestingly, too, it works especially with kids who have been through really traumatic lives because that's who Joel tends to work with a lot. He works mainly with boys who are in their teen years who are stuck in the foster care system or have you know, had a really bad lot in life, that kind of thing, lots of really nasty things happening. He teaches them law of attraction, and they pick up on it like that. I mean, they just pick up on it so quickly, and they reject all of the stuff that they learned before because they know it's not working for them. Whereas those of us who have been on the earth a little bit longer, we take a little bit longer to let go of the old stuff. <laughs> we don't do it quite as easily as the young kids do. But, yeah, the young yeah, kids do it easily. 
they really, really are good at it. By the way, another story that just occurred to me um, that happened while we were traveling back. Um, we, I said that we were going to do the trip in two stages. So Sunday we drove up to New Jersey where uh, my wife's sister lives. And we arranged we had arranged with her to come visit her, and then we stayed at a nearby hotel. And so it was like a, a nice way to, you know, connect with her and also give us a place to stay overnight, you know, to, to refurbish and get ready for – or refresh, rather, and get ready for the next part of the drive. Well, we came into that part of New Jersey. She lives near Tom's River, New Jersey, for people who know where that is, which is right on the coast. And as we were driving in, we were following GPS instructions because while my wife doesn't know where her sister lives, I mean, it's not like we were driving that route every day, so we really don't know the route real well. And anyone who has ever driven in, say, the New York City area, or in this case, New Jersey, where you have all these really <laughs> interestingly constructed road systems that don't always make sense and aren't always well nicely marked, well, we're driving along and it says, okay, um, Go down this ramp and then take the ramp to the right. Uh, or no, I'm sorry. Go down this ramp and then follow the signs for route, whatever the route was. And so I'm, I'm on the ramp and I'm, there are two lanes on this ramp. I'm in the left-hand lane. It's like, okay, I'm looking for the sign, looking for the sign, looking for the sign. I don't see the sign. And then all of a sudden, the two roads start to divide. And just at the point where they start to divide, there's a little sign, a little tiny sign that says the route is going on the other ramp. <laughs> and I'm saying... Oh no, this doesn't work real well. <laughs> We're in the wrong lane. And for some reason, I didn't get upset about it. I often have gotten upset about that kind of thing in the past, but this time it's like, well, there goes our route. <laughs> and I just kind of chuckled about it. <laughs> and Louise didn't get all worked up about it. And as per usual with the GPS, it says, you know, recalculating, recalculating. Right. And, and right. then it just took us, took us on another route that basically got us there in the same amount of time. And it mm. did so on a route that actually, I think, from what Louise was telling me, would actually have had less traffic most of the time. So not only did the universe look out for us, it looked out for us in a way that was completely unexpected. It actually gave us a better route than the GPS was giving us. <laughs> wow. Well, here's what's really cool is while you were talking about that story, I was kind of feeling into, you know, when you said that your GPS was saying rerouting, and now you're going to follow a different set of instructions. Mm-hmm. And I was putting myself back in both the position I was in on Saturday as well as another time when I was stuck in traffic and I was, you know, the navigator that I'm using is called Google Maps. And so apparently, and I didn't learn this until I went and Googled it when I got home, Google Maps has updated how they do what they do. And so the rerouting is better, the communication is better, et cetera. But as you were telling the story, what I was connecting to is this feeling of trusting what Google Maps says. Yes. Over trusting um, what I can personally see or the highway system that I have knowledge of. Mm -hmm. And the moment you said it, I had this feeling like, <gasps> like a gasp, mm -hmm. like that feels so out of control to just turn over my power, if you will, to this Google Maps thing that I don't know personally. <laughs> Nobody has ever introduced me. Right. Wendy, this is Google Maps. This is Google Maps. This is Wendy. You know, and this is how she likes to drive, and she lives in this city. I mean, we've never had a personal introduction. Um, and so it, it was kind of like trusting somebody I don't know. Mm. And I haven't built enough rapport or relationship with Google Maps to trust Google Maps. Yeah. Because in the past, Google Maps sent me some places it really ought not to have. Mm -hmm. that, that'll certainly give but, you the bad feeling. Yeah. And so I came to say Google Maps is good about 75% of the time. And the rest of the time, I trust my inner being much more to get me where I need to go. But I really felt like my inner being was saying, trust the Google Maps, but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I was having a really hard time doing that. Right. And just now, it came to me, It like now it makes sense. Now that Google Maps has actually updated their programming, they're much more reliable. But I hadn't had any experiential evidence of that or enough for me to really say, I trust Google Maps. Exactly. 
And so even though I was getting guidance from within to touch base with the Google Maps, then I started getting a little flustered. So I have to say I wasn't really as centered and in the place to really receive the guidance mm -hmm. really clearly. Because had I just calmed down, taken my three deep breaths, I would not have closed my eyes though while I was driving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I could have relaxed more, I could have asked better questions mm. of my mm. inner being. Yeah. You know, like, can I really trust what Google Maps is telling me? And I probably would have heard a yes. Probably. And then I went, okay, as long as my inner being says go for it, no matter what I see with my, my physical eyes, don't worry about that. Don't, don't give that as much attention. Pay more attention to I'm being guided by my inner being who is helping me on this planet called Earth via Google Maps. I just got all of that awareness while you were talking. It's like, <laughs> oh, all right. I'm going to be so – I feel like I'm setting myself up to have a much smoother experience going forward because, all right, honestly, Google Maps – here's how I'm going to say it. Google Maps was referred to me by my inner being. Really? I trust my inner being. And if my inner being said, check Google Maps, my inner being would not steer me wrong. Mm -hmm. My inner being would not introduce me to somebody or something that wasn't going to somehow be helpful to me. So it turns out you actually were introduced. You just didn't realize it. I just didn't realize it. Yeah. Now, yeah. anybody, who, I, I'm sure somebody listening can say, yeah, but, and that's totally fine. Um, no metaphor is perfect in all circumstances, but this is the guidance that I'm receiving for me. Mm. And if that resonates for someone else, great. And if it doesn't, that's okay, too. <laughs> well, we've had a similar experience because uh, – and by the way, we were using Google Maps for the stories that I was telling, too. Um, Louise has uh, a lot of the same kinds of resistance you've expressed, although she's she's losing it over time because very often we'll – you know, the Google Maps will be directing us to you know take a left, and she'll say, no, 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 you have to go straight here. So I'll go straight because usually I'm the one driving, and I'll go straight, and it turns out being a longer trip. And then the next time, you know, Google Maps says to do this, she says, no, 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 you have to do this, and it turns out to be a longer trip. You do that four or five times, and Louise finally gets to the point she says, well, maybe we should just trust the Google Maps. <laughs> and I think that's what happens. Yeah. You know, you and, just and trial and so error. I've had, two, I've had two times where I didn't trust Google Maps. But I end up ended up taking the longer route. Right. I feel like now the thought that's coming to me is, if I'm being guided by my inner being to trust Google Maps, trust Google Maps. Yeah. And there's good reason for it. Oh. By the way, the way Google Maps knows this stuff is a couple of ways. First of all, they also have a thing called Google News, and they can track what's going on with like traffic reports and so forth. So they know when there's a particular uh, accident in a particular place because they pick up the traffic report. And they also have a whole bunch of other users who are using Google Maps. And if they've got a bunch of those users who ended up in the middle of a traffic jam, they say, well, we aren't going to route any more, route any more people to that traffic jam. We're going to route them around the traffic jam. And that exactly is what happened to us in another part of our trip, because at one point, as we were driving into New Jersey, we got a little notification from Google Maps saying, we have just, we have just calculated a new route that will get you there four minutes faster. Uh, unless you say no, we're going we're gonna to route you there. So I just left it alone, and it rerouted us there. It was great. That's, that's what I experienced, too, but I didn't trust, but I will help <laughs> go forward. Wow. Well, we... You know, considering at the beginning we kind of didn't know what we were going to talk about, I think we've had fun talking about um, how to get ourselves into a better feeling place and, and I, how to trust the guidance that we receive. And ironically, how to trust the processes, because that's what we were originally talking about was the processes yeah. in the back of asking how to trust the process. Trust the process is a good thing. Well, this has that's been great. Awesome. This has been excellent. And, Wendy, before we go, you are a life coach who knows how to teach other people how to do this. How do they reach you? They can reach me through my website, which is wendydillard.com. All right. Well, I'll look forward to talking to you on Thursday once again. Yes, I'll be here. And we'll be here as well. We hope you'll come back next time as well here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye for now.